Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, um, you notice that we read the entire portion of the uh, 13th chapter. What happens with the um, people who put together the Revised Common Lectionary is uh, sometimes they'll truncate the passages and sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't work. And since this is our last Sunday to be looking at this wonderful epistle to the Hebrews, And uh, also because that wonderful benediction in there, we are the church of the Good Shepherd and that that references the Good Shepherd, I just thought it would be good to have us read through the entire uh, last chapter. It's a stirring chapter. Uh, You might have noticed as we read through it that there are some topics that are covered uh, there Uh, Money, uh, leadership, authority, power, sex, and suffering. Um, You might have opened up your newspaper to exactly those topics this morning, or your television. Um, So nothing is new. First century Palestine had the same issues going on as we have in 21st century America. But there is one difference in this reading to that that you would hear on the news, and that is that Jesus takes center stage. Uh, Yes, these issues are spoken of in this uh, letter, this portion of the letter to the Hebrews, but Jesus is front and center because all of those issues come into perfect focus through him. Outside of him, they're spattered around the place and don't make sense and create all kinds of havoc. But when our focus is on him, then they fall perfectly into perspective. There was a story of a dad who'd come come home from a long day at the office, plumped down in his comfy chair and started to read a magazine and his little daughter came in daddy 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 can you uh can you draw for me a picture of the united states and uh he's just trying to read through his magazine and and she keeps persevering i want to know what all the states look like i want to know the capitals of all of the states and as he he's leafing through his magazine there is a picture of the United States with all of the states and the capitals. So he tears it out of the magazine and he tears it up into little pieces and he hands her all of the pieces and says, uh, when you can put all of those back together, you'll see what the United States looks like in all of the states and the capitals, thinking that she would be at this task for quite a while, long enough for him to finish his magazine. Uh, But she comes back quite quickly, and he's very, very surprised at this. Well, how were you able to do it that quickly, he asks. And she lifts up this taped-together page and turns it around, and she said, well, I found Jesus on the back, and when I put him in the proper place, 
our country fell into perspective properly. See that at many levels, but um, when Jesus is put back together and he is in his proper place, then everything else, our lives, all of our lives, fall into place also. It says in the center of this passage, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. He does not change. He is changeless. This wonderful letter uh, begins like this, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. Jesus Christ was at the beginning. He is co-eternal. The Son is co-eternal with the Father. He is from the beginning. The Son is from the beginning. You, Lord, it says later on in verse 10 of chapter 1, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years have no end. He is eternal. He is the same today. He is interceding on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. He is from eternity. He will be in eternity. And he is changeless. In light of that, if we keep him in focus, how do we live faithful lives in the real world? How do we, as, as one theologian put it, he said, beds and bankrolls cannot be separated from theology. Beds and bankrolls cannot be separated from theology. How do we live faithful lives in the real world where we are confronted with beds and bankrolls? With Jesus as our focus. Where society changes, culture changes, But Jesus does not. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And depending on our relationship with Jesus, that will will show forth in our lives how all of these other things come into play. How we respond to power, to money, to sex, and to suffering. It will all depend on our relationship with Jesus. Because he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And if we trust that, if we trust that he is good, that he has our wholeness at heart, then we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Our security comes out of knowing Jesus, his love for us, his heart for us, his desire for our wholeness and for our good. And so when Jesus, who is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow, is our complete focus, all of life falls into 
its correct perspective. All of the moral decisions that we need to make, all of the ethical decisions that we need to make, he is our moral compass. He is our true north. And so if we are focused on him, all of the rest naturally falls into place. We have to move that head knowledge of Jesus to it being deep-seated in our hearts so that we are not pulled away to other things, to the cultural view of things, but we know within ourselves the Jesus view of things. What Jesus knows is best for us. What is wholeness for us. When that moves to the deepest part of us, then the beginning, this, this first exhortation in this passage quite naturally occurs, and that is let mutual love continue. See, when we're seated and settled in God's love for us, then that naturally shows forth. If we need to go searching for love and grasping after it somewhere else, we're not free to love others, to love mutually. Let mutual love continue. That, that word there is the Greek Philadelphia. You'll know that there are several words in Greek for our one word love. That word for love actually responds to family love, brotherly, sisterly love. And we are brothers and sisters. It refers to the love within a biological family, but we are knit together in a different blood. We are knit together in Christ's blood. And so we are very truly, at the truest level, brothers and sisters one to the other. And so let mutual love continue. Let us love our brothers and sisters, not just those who are gathered here or who are in our larger family here at Good Shepherd, but throughout the world, because every Christian, through the blood of Christ, is our brother and our sister. And so when he's talking about here looking after those who are in prison, being compassionate for them, loving them, feeling the same pains and torture that they're going through, we have brothers and sisters around the world for whom that is still true. They are in prison for their faith. That's what he's talking about here. Prisoners who are imprisoned for their belief in Jesus Christ. And so as brothers and sisters, our love that is seated within us, that is the love of Christ for us, flows out in prayer for them, in advocacy for them, and in love for one another. And so out of that then, so out of the love that Christ has for us, settled in that, not needing to grasp for love elsewhere, showing forth love in this community, but then outside of the community of faith. As it says in the Psalms, generous in lending, giving freely to the poor, and as Jesus himself says in the Gospel, extending an invitation to the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, all those who cannot reciprocate, giving freely, not in any sense that anything is going to be returned to us, but just a free gift, generous in lending, giving freely to the poor. And so once we are set 
in that mindset, in that, in that love, all of these other moral, ethical issues just come into focus in this one Lord. Let the marriage be held in honor by all. And let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. For God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Sometimes we hear, well, we live in a more enlightened age. Uh, you know, we, we have a different way of understanding things these days. You know that we look very similar to the pagan world at this point. We look very similar to first century Palestine. They thought they were very enlightened also. They thought it was quite normal uh, to have several concubines. Um, the marriage bed was not held as sacred in that time. Jesus was speaking to them, and he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he is speaking also to us. Then, as now, Christians are called to be countercultural. We live in an upside-down world. We live in a world where God's rule... God's reign creates a world that looks different from the culture around us. In actual fact, though, it's a world that's right side up because it's Christ's world. It's God's world. It's God's rule. It's God's way. It's the way that God rules the world, not as a tyrant, but because we're seated in the true knowledge of his love. His love is so seated within us. When he is in focus, when he is put back together in the correct way, then we see all of these things through that lens because he knows what is wholeness for us. He knows what is healthy for us. Healthy marriages, says another commentator, trumpet the redemption of people from self-centeredness and destructive life patterns. Nobody must try to break into the sexual union of a husband and wife. Let marriage be held in honor by all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. Keep your lives free from the love of money. It doesn't say free from money. It says free from the love of money. Again, where is our focus? If our focus is on Jesus, who is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow, if he is our focus, then our money will be secondary. It won't be the primary focus of our lives. We won't be grabbling after it. We won't be in its power it will be used by us for God's way of life, for God's kingdom work, for the sustaining of our bodies, for the poor outside the door. Money will not rule us. It will be used by us appropriately in God's kingdom work. When Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow, is fully in focus, these things all fall into place. Corrie Ten Boom, you'll have heard me speak about her before. She was uh, in Holland during World War II. Her father was a watchmaker 
um, they were Christian family, but they took in men and saved many Jews uh, from the Gestapo and from the concentration camps. And they got them out of the country. But unfortunately, they were betrayed by neighbors. And, uh, and they were, the entire family were sent to concentration camps. And all of the family, except Corrie, died in those concentration camps. And she had a wonderful ministry of reconciliation after the war. Absolutely amazing for everything that she had been through. But she's recalled an event from her childhood that speaks to this uh, keep your lives free from the love of money admonition. So the Ten Boom family prayed one morning that God would send a customer that day to the family's shop to purchase a watch the income from which would pay bills that had come due at the bank. And during that day, a customer with a large sum of cash did come into the store. He picked out and paid for an expensive watch, but at the same time he was complaining about another Christian watchmaker, suggesting that the merchant had sold him a defective piece of merchandise. Casper, who was Corrie's father, asked the man if he could examine the watch that was not working. And as he saw, he found that there's only a small minor repair was needed to the watch, and Casper made it, assuring the customer that he had been sold actually a very fine quality watch that would now work very well for him. And then he astounded the gentleman by giving his money back to him. And the man returned the watch that he had just bought in Mr. Ten Boom's shop. And as she left, little Corrie turned to her father and said, Papa, why did you do that? Aren't you worried about the bills you have due? And her father responded, there is blessed and unblessed money, explaining that God would not be pleased with the ruination of another believer's reputation. God would provide, he assured her. And just a few days later, another man came into the shop and paid for the most expensive watch produced at that time. The purchase not only allowed the family to pay their bills, but also provided the funds for Corrie to to go to training in Switzerland as a watchmaker for two years. C.S. Lewis once remarked, He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. May we be those who are content with God, aligning our lives with Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. May we always keep him where he belongs as the focus of our lives, for then all the rest will fall perfectly in place. And I close with this wonderful benediction at the end of this letter to the Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in everything good, so that you may do his will, working amongst us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.